0: Hello, I'm Bailey.
1: And I'm Charles.
0: And you're listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where... Once a week, we pick out one fear and explore it, yeah.
0: This week, we are talking about the fear of flying. Um, So a few uh, facts and figures on the fear of flying from the article titled Fear of Flying, Statistics, Trends, and Facts, 2020 Data by Steve Dean on stratosjets.com. The name of the phobia for flying is aviophobia. Now between 33 and 40% of all people experience some form of anxiety when it comes to flying. Um, 60% of sufferers experience a generalized anxiety like during the flight and leading up to it that they can manage on their own. But between 2.5 and 5% of the population have crippling anxiety, um, a genuine fear of flying that is classified as a clinical phobia. Flying was the most searched fear in Charles and my home state of Oklahoma in the year 2020. Something that's kind of comforting is that there is only a 1 in 3.37 billion chance of dying in a commercial airplane crash and that 98.6 of crashes do not result in a fatality. Uh, There were 140 plane accidents between 2012 and 2016. And only two involve fatalities. Commercial plane incidents cause death only once in 20 million flights. Are you afraid of
1: flying? I am not really that afraid of flying, I don't think. I do think sometimes, wow, this plane could crash and this could be it for me. But I'm more afraid of it actually being real, which I've explained to you, earlier i sometimes i'm in the air and it just all looks the same so i feel like like it, the destination is like loading and i'm not sure if it's real so i'm not sure if the the, the short answer is no
0: so i think like when you're on an airplane you're in this like liminal space where the world beneath you disappears and you're not sure if it's there anymore
1: yeah because i when i went to visit you in japan flying there there was... or flying home, I don't remember. There... I remember looking out and seeing the ocean and the sky, and seemingly... I, I know we were moving extremely fast, and... But, like, looking down, and there was just, like, nothing really moving. And I know there's a very scientific, <laughs> oh, scientific <laughs> explanation for that. But I just wondered, is this all real?
0: Let me ask you a very fair question. When people leave the room,
1: do you know that they still exist? <laughs> I'm not a, not a newborn child. I mean, like, it, yes, it sounds I, like it. I, don't, I do have the concept of object permanence. I do. I, but I, yeah. No, I'm, I'm aware that the plane could crash. Right. Okay. Circling back. I am I am aware that that could happen. But honestly, when turbulence happens, I like it more. I just like the feeling of like kind of like a nice little softly bumpy ride. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's kind of fun, right? It's like being on a roller coaster a little bit.
1: It's fun to me. Um but what about you? Are you scared of flying?
0: <laughs> uh no. I I don't think I've ever really been afraid of flying. Um, my worst flight experience was I, so I lived in Japan for a year for people who don't know. Um, and on my way home, it was like a 16 hour flight. And I was sat next to this, two-year-old like lap child which I thought like only like infants didn't have to have their own seat but apparently you could be like a full-grown toddler and just spend a 16-hour flight on your mom's lap and this kid like halfway through the flight threw up everywhere <laughs> and, so and that was by far the most like terrifying experience I've <laughs> had on a plane.
1: <laughs> I'm just glad that none of it got on you.
0: I mean, yeah, I dodged, but I was like, so this flight had free alcohol, like unlimited free drinks. So like the stewardess would pass by like every couple hours and you could get a mixed drink every time they walked by for free. So I was like pretty smashed 8 hours in when this happened and I like I was I was so close to just losing it myself and I like looked over at the mom and I was like I'm going to excuse myself for a moment. <laughs> and I like went to the, the little airplane bathroom and was just staring at myself in the like tiny mirror be like, do not throw up right now. <laughs> like get do it together. Do, to yeah. <laughs> do not do this to me.
1: Do not do this to me.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm um, less afraid of flying and more afraid of toddlers, pukey toddlers. I love kids. You know but what? I, I think, don't love their
1: vomit. I think when it comes to like what I'm afraid of on a flight, it's more of if I'm in a window seat asking the person beside me, like, hey, I need to get out real quick, so can you move? Because I have I will ration I will <laughs> dehydrate myself in order to not ask the person beside me like, Hey, move it. I gotta piss myself i would <laughs> i started to time it when the other guy would leave and then i would go and i would try to pee before he came yeah out.
0: it's like it's like a speed run
1: yeah yeah that's I don't, terrifying that's like a eight out of ten i
0: don't particularly love the idea of any stranger knowing whether or not i have to piss
1: <laughs> see but then on the flip side i'm like if i'm sitting on the aisle seat i don't care if i'm asleep wake me up and tell me you gotta go like i it doesn't bother me if you ask me. It just bothers me to ask other people.
0: Yeah, I think that's how like a lot of people feel. So on a scale of like one to ten, how afraid are you of flying? The whole ordeal of it.
1: The whole ordeal. I'm gonna go with a two.
0: Okay. Yeah. So not really. Not really.
1: What about for you?
0: I would say I'm like a like a one. I'm not really afraid of it. I'm like I said, I'm more afraid of it being vomited on (laughs) than flying. I don't like the idea of being stuck in a tiny area (laughs) with other people, but I think that falls more under, like, claustrophobia than actual flying. Like, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not super afraid of, like... Look, it's not like I think I I would be a survivor, okay, if the plane crashed. (laughs)
1: Like... Oh, you're so small and so frail. I've accepted the fact that, like, pieces. if the
0: plane crashes and and there is, like, one... I'm the one in 3.37 billion, okay? I, <laughs> I will be the one that dies. <laughs> but I can't do anything about that, you know? And so I just, like, I don't know. I'm just along for
1: the ride, baby. I think I fall more into also not liking being so claustrophobic. Like that long f- flight to Japan, I my body just sitting in that position that long. I wanted to die. And that's what made me hope the plane would crash, honestly. And let um, me tell
0: you a story about sitting in a position for too long. <laughs> On one of my Japan flights, I can't remember if it was the way there or the way back, there was someone who had leaned their seat back so far that this man was laying in my lap for like the duration of the flight. And I, I just got really irritated because it just seemed so rude to me. Like I understand leaning back a little, right? There's like the,
1: sure, the planes sure, are tiny, yeah.
0: there's not a lot of room. But I was just so mad at this, like, like you are a grown man, all right? You, if I have to sit like this, you know, and just like be in pain, then you should suffer too, right? What did you do? And he was like, what?
1: <laughs> Where's the body, so, Bailey?
0: I have these like little pointy knees, so I just kind of dug my knees in, like I, I leaned back to where he was like directly on my knees as opposed to my thighs, and I just like pushed them up as hard as I could, and then that didn't seem to work because he fell asleep. So then when we did hit like a little bump, I just kneed him really hard, <laughs> which okay also did not work. Did he get up? No. And so oh. then I waited for him to go to the bathroom. And when he went to the bathroom, I I like literally got up and put his seat up and then sat back down really fast. Then I like put my feet up against the back of the seat so he couldn't put it back down. Which like I wouldn't normally go to that extreme, but it was literally like a sixteen-hour flight, and I couldn't have this strange man in my lap for sixteen hours. Like well, I can't. I
1: won't. What was the person beside you doing this whole time?
0: I don't remember actually. I was really focused on the fact that the stranger was on me. So yeah, I think I'm more afraid of like rude people than I am of like flying. And claustrophobia. Probably like a one out of 10. I mean. Yeah. And I mean, if I go, if I go, I go, you know?
1: Yeah. I've been wanting you to go for a while. I guess it is now time for our stories. Um, we and Bailey have picked out some lovely stories for you to listen to. And, Listen, I'm not trying to make people more afraid of getting on flights, but like I've said a couple times to convince myself that this is okay to share, this is called hold me I'm scared, not hold me I'm comfortable. So the most natural thing that I did, I mean, because I tried to look at people, I I was thinking of like, okay, I want to look up a story. Of somebody who hasn't left their house in like years, or like hasn't traveled in years because they don't want to get on a plane, right? But that was very like few and far in between. Whatever that saying is, far and few, but in few.
0: I think you should try it a few more times to see if you get there.
1: It's rare. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was thinking, what is more prevalent, plane crashes? sure and why are people afraid to fly plane crashes so i have some plane crash stories and hopefully i don't scare too many people but i also don't care um so uh, first bailey we have i think it's a man i don't know they're
0: i don't like it when you say my name like that it makes me feel like i'm in trouble
1: <laughs> miss <laughs> Into the principal's office Stop now.
0: It. Don't tell them my last name. I don't want the four people that'll listen to this podcast looking me up.
1: <laughs> Her name is Bailey Birthday. Ooh, would Birthday be a okay. last? No. Okay, we're moving on. That was your okay. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, so I have a story about well, two stories actually. The first one comes from United Airlines Flight Two Thirty Two. Um, the person named. Upton Renberg, I don't know if it's a man, a woman, non-binary, doesn't matter. The crash landing happened in Sioux City, Iowa in 1989 of July, Ugh, the summer. God, I miss the summer so much. Ugh, it physically pains me. And here's what's wild is, honestly, if you have the choice to get home to make your child's ninth birthday, just don't. Like, I, you you can catch him later the next day perhaps um and spend the whole day with them
0: i feel like you're blaming this plane crash on a 9 year old no
1: I, I i'm just saying this person could have avoided it i'm not sure that the other people could have avoided it maybe they were all going home for their son's birthdays Ooh, wouldn't that be weird i mean if it's a 1 in like if it's a 1 in like whatever billion chance to get in a plane crash i bet you it's more statistical that all these people went on this plane to get home to their child's birthday party huh i'm just saying
0: yeah i don't know um i'm not i'm not a math person
1: (laughs) here's how the story goes right they said i changed onto flight 232 at the last minute in hope of getting home from a business trip for my son's ninth birthday Bad idea. I usually ask for a seat at the back, but 9A, a window seat by the left side emergency exit, had been one of the last available. If I'd taken my usual seat, oh my God. I would be dead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not funny. Um, I don't know why I laughed. Um, he's, they continue. I was sitting in front of a flight attendant, and just over an hour into a journey, I leaned over to her and <laughs> said quietly, The pipe <laughs> This still makes me laugh. The pilot is flying this plane in a very strange way. There had been loud. There had been a loud explosion, but an announcement had reassured us that we had only lost one engine. Everything seemed to return to normal. The attendant softly said, "Hydraulics. I didn't know everything on a plane worked off the hydraulic I'm system." I'm sorry. And it had lost all power. This
0: conversation is bananas to me. <laughs> So they, they have heard an explosion. You're on a plane, right? You've heard an explosion. And then the pilot comes on and is like, guys, it's cool. It's just one engine. We have another. And instead of being like, what the fuck, or screaming, or you know if it was me, I literally would have been like, what do you mean? Ah! Ah! I would have been running through the aisles screaming, okay? He's like, ma'am. Excuse me um this seems weird and then in response she just says "Eh, hydraulics that's not an answer
1: (laughs) yeah she doesn't even she doesn't even say like it's not there but but honestly his wasn't a question and hers wasn't a question either it's just two comments to each other um yeah i don't i see if i were a flight attendant a flight attendant if I were a flight attendant if I were a flight attendant I I would more likely be like hey it's nothing to worry about probably just the hydraulics um that happens all the time they make okay, weird sounds okay but I wouldn't
0: accept that answer either because I'd be like okay I'm dumb and I all I know is that we are supposed to have more engines than we have right now I am thousands of feet above the ground and I've heard an explosion so I would need like a little
1: bit more well see and I would tell you that from you know just knowledge that I have a plane can go quite far with just one engine it's not opportune
0: I'd rather have both I know that might be a controversial
1: take I'd rather
0: have the number I would (laughs) rather land With the number of engines that we took off with.
1: (laughs) I mean, everyone would rather have both. But um, the good thing about having two is if one goes, you still have the other one. Um, However, that was not the case on this day. Uh, The flight attendants, he said, gave or they said, gave every appearance of the business as usual. Then 30 minutes after the explosion, they told us to adopt the brace position. And uh, they said we should be prepared for the worst. Now, I think I I would probably start freaking out, I guess. Um, they Upton says, I still didn't think we were going to die. I assumed they would be able to get the aeroplane down. It was quiet. And I remember taking off my tie. I don't know why. I just put my reading glasses in my shirt pocket, tied my shoelaces, and waited. Like,
0: <laughs> did everyone on this plane take like 10 Valium before they took off? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Like, everyone just seems so calm.
1: Well, like I said, they're all trying to get to their kids' birthday parties.
0: (laughs) You gotta keep your eye on the prize.
1: They said that they later learned that we hit the ground at 260 miles per hour. And the normal landing speed is around 150 miles per hour. So quite literally, 100 more miles per hour than you're supposed to land. They said the right wing hit the ground first and started a fire. The plane slammed down. Bounced up, came back down on its nose, and began to cartwheel. Now I don't know about you, but being inside of a plane that is cartwheeling sounds terrifying.
0: That is one of the scariest things. And not I can even imagine. cartwheeling
1: for fun. You know, this plane is cartwheeling. I don't think at, they do that. I I've heard stories. Um, this plane, though, is cartwheeling at 260 miles per hour. Jeez.
0: That would be so horrifying. Do you think that that you can even, like, understand what's happening while it's happening? Or do you think it's just, like, this, like, blur of, like, blind
1: I mean, in the next paragraph, they seem to remember quite a lot. I'm sure they don't remember. And I'm sure a lot of people just kind of black out um, because of, like, the blunt force trauma that's happening to your body. But... They said the, they remember the noise and impact were incredible, and I couldn't hold the brace position. And I bounced upright with my arms over my head. A fireball, a burning fuel mind you, not just a normal fireball came through the seal of the door next to my left knee and hit me in the face. It melted the front of my shirt, burned my chest and the gap between the tops of my socks and my trousers. The plane broke into five sections, and each went into a different direction. We were thrown around. Viciously, and I was knocked unconscious. When I came around, I was hanging upside down from my seatbelt and undid it, and walked across the ceiling of the cabin. He's still to the walking. Exit. So they unhooked themselves. Oh my god! Yeah, they unhooked themselves from the seats and just like fell onto what is now, well, they fell into the ground, which was previously the ceiling. Um. Yeah, there were cables hanging down, so I held them up, letting people behind me get out. I was aware of the need to keep people moving so they weren't blocking each other. They say in a plane crash, people sit around waiting for direction, but being uh, prepared can make all the difference. Now when I fly, I wear natural fibers, often I wear a sweatshirt with a hood. A man in the burns unit with me was a flight engineer and he told me that when airline personnel are passengers, they are taught to cover their heads with a blanket in an emergency landing. But there are enough blankets for every passenger. So dressing in a way that covers like as much of your body as possible and counting the rows from your seat to the emergency exits and knowing how to open them and moving quickly can make all the difference. You are the person you have to look to to save mm-hmm. your life.
0: That's kind of profound. That's crazy. Like You never think about fire as something you have to worry about when you're flying.
1: Thankfully... We've discussed, both you and I, have always enjoyed wearing a hoodie on the plane. Oh, yeah. So, I'm very in to the hoodie plane look.
0: Hoodies are the ultimate travel attire. Because planes are always freezing, too. Yes, They're always so cold. Because so. you're, like, up in the... Wear all your clothes.
1: Yeah, wear a parka, man. Like.
0: Just, like, save on that luggage. Just wear it, you know?
1: Get one of those hazmat suits. Just wear that. Well, natural fiber. Get one ma- Get, like, a track suit. Hey, yeah.
0: I think those are making a comeback. Do you remember the Juicy Couture suits? Those were a look.
1: That is so scary, though. I can't believe that... Did you ever indulge? In the
0: Juicy Couture suit?
1: No, in a plane crash.
0: I was way too poor for that. (laughs) Oh, no, did you ever indulge in a plane crash?
1: Nope, neither. Can't say either.
0: That's crazy that they survived, though.
1: And walked out. And like yeah literally walked away they had a lot of burns i can't believe that i guess but i mean that's getting off pretty nice you know the rest of them were dead i don't know how many survivors there were but that's not all folks we have one more person mercedes ramirez johnson 34 when they told this story the flight american airlines flight 965 crash landed into a mountain in Colombia. On the 20th of December in 1995, so really not that long ago. It was their 21st birthday, and their parents were on their way to Cali, Columbia, Columbia, to spend Christmas with the father's side of the family. It was around 9 p.m., and they were only about 15 minutes from landing. Oh, that sucks. I didn't even remember reading that. Only from, like, 15 minutes away from landing. When, without warning, the pilot pulled the nose of the plane straight into the air, the cabin was shaking violently the turbulence was unbelievably strong and there was panic obviously
0: obviously oh you mean someone didn't look at them and just say hydraulics and everyone was cool with it
1: (laughs) no my mother was in the row in front of me i was next to my father in the exit row over the wing but I remember hearing my mother praying. Her voice calmed me down and I didn't think we were going to crash or die. I just kept thinking hurry up and fix this, straighten it out. <laughs> I guess it, humans from these two stories were just like, "Oh my god, what an inconvenience." That like, is
0: kind of sweet that like their mom's voice calmed them down. Like it's a really sweet detail.
1: It's a really sweet detail and you'll find out more. Later, Why that's such a sweet detail. Yeah, so after they were like, Ugh, God, what an inconvenience. Just fix this. Then we heard this incredibly loud booming sound from the back of the plane. And there was a strong vibration. I grabbed my father's hand and he held mine really tightly. Oh. I put my head in my lap and closed my eyes. When I came around, I was disoriented. Everything was in pieces all around me. The middle of my right thigh was bent and the bottom half of my leg was behind me. But I couldn't feel any pain. I was laying in the aisle, and I could hear a man's voice outside, so I dragged myself towards him. He pulled me out. Only four of us survived, all from the middle. Oh, my God. Only four of them survived from the middle section of the plane. We waited 18 hours on the mountain for help. And this is in December. Oh, God. Um, I I don't know what December Columbia is like, but I assume you're on a mountain probably a little cold.
0: 18 hours, like... Yeah. I'm sure they're yeah. all... I mean, it, this person's really injured. I'm sure all of the survivors were terribly injured. And just you're just stuck. You're just waiting.
1: Yeah, for 18 hours. That's almost an entire day. And... It's horrific. Like, I'm sure people... More people might have survived had it not taken so long. Um, this is the craziest part to me, though. I, I'm not sure who in their right mind would think that this was okay, but they go on and say, it wasn't until I got to the hospital that I realized how badly I was injured. My leg was broken. I had injuries to my spinal cord, my back, internal injuries from the seatbelt, broken ribs, that's not the worst of it reporters came into my hospital room disguised as doctors and nurses and on live television told me my parents had passed away. I've seen the footage of that interview but I don't remember talking to them.
0: Oh my God, what the fuck? How I know? How does that even happen? <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know. And how like did multiple people get like doctor disguises? And then also, like, get, like, a camera crew in there, and then, like, is is there no, this is in the 90s, right? Yeah,
1: 1995.
0: I I mean, was there no, like, journalistic standards back then? I don't know. I I was an infant,
1: so I don't remember. I I also was. I, I don't, I just, I can't imagine, like, you're in need of ratings that much, so you go to somebody's like it wasn't even they just went like as themselves and were like hey like are you like we're from cbs like how are you feeling bro like i it that's not how news anchors or news people reporters um work but would have been better than like they disguise themselves as doctors and then was like oh by the way i'll say your mom and dad are dead like it's disgusting This is what I can take from this, always double check data entry, things that you're writing um, before you send things in, just a, a brief once over, okay, because it was later discovered that 15 minutes before the plane crashed, the pilots accidentally entered the wrong code into the flight computer, they didn't realize we were heading into the mountains, until the ground proximity warning system started to sound, and that's when they pulled the plane up, and that loud booming sound was them hitting the mountain. So I feel like
0: when you are in control of something like a plane, you making like a small typing error should not cause the death of almost everyone on that plane. Like, have we fixed that? Because now I'm getting a little more afraid of planes. Have we fixed that? that I can you tell me that we fixed that please
1: I mean I I don't have the ability to (laughs) reassure that that's something to not worry about anymore but I will say plane crashes are rare so get on that plane and jet set around or take a boat honestly there's a lot there's a lot of boat crashes don't travel you know what if you have to walk <laughs> if you can't walk that far <laughs> stay home.
0: those are insane stories good job
1: i know thank you thank you so much
0: all right so it's my turn now
1: so you have a story
0: yeah you have a little story for me <laughs> you're editing that out okay so i am going to tell the story of the deadliest hijacking in history Ethiopian Airlines Flight 961. So this took place on November 23rd, 1996. Um, it was a flight from Addis Ababa to Nairobi. when it, And it had other stops that it was going to, but it happened in this leg of the journey. Um, my resources for the story were Wikipedia and season four, episode nine of I Survived. Um, in that episode, Franklin Huddle, who was the U.S. Consul General of Bombay at the time, tells his firsthand account of the hijacking. So a lot of this is gonna be from his perspective. So he starts off by saying that him and his wife, so I've looked at the pronunciation of this name name a few times, and I've found like several different pronunciations, so I'm sorry <sighs> if this is wrong, but I believe it's Chanya, and then her nickname was Palm. Like, pom-pom-pom.
1: I still... I I want to know where they got that nickname. Like, is it a cheerleading thing? Pomegranate-related?
0: I don't know. I have no information <laughs> regarding the nickname. <laughs> Only that it existed.
1: I mean, I probably won't forgive you for that. Okay. Ever, but it's fine.
0: You will Go learn to move along. Um, so they were on a vacation, and... Um, they were on this flight uh, to Nairobi from Addis Ababa, and at the last minute their seats got upgraded to business class. Um, so they were on Ooh. the plane, which was a Boeing 767, um, and then they were like sitting in like, the normal economy class and someone came up and was like, hey, these spots opened up, you can have them. And they moved up to business class. They settle in, and the plane takes off and reaches its ascent at 31,000 feet. I never get upgrades on planes. Like, that has never happened to me.
1: I know. I've always wanted it to happen. Like, that movie moment of them being like, you know what? You're too pretty to slum it out with the regs. Why don't you pop up here? <laughs> Nobody's ever said that to me.
0: Yeah. And then that literally never happens. And Franklin actually said that this was the, the only time it's ever happened to him. You'd imagine like as the US Consul General um, of Bombay that he would fly a lot, but he said this is the one time that that's happened to him, so. So they're just cruising, everything seems normal, and then Franklin looks over and sees a guy come down one side of their like seats um, in the aisle, and he's carrying what Franklin describes as a shoebox with wires. He says it looks like a fake bomb from a high school play. And that the guy who was carrying it was, like, waving his arms and acting crazy. So that's happening on one side. Then he looks over to the other side and coming up the other aisle, which, to me, this is much more terrifying. He says there's a guy, quote-unquote, noiselessly gliding up the aisle.
1: Like a dementor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just, like, that to me is way scarier than the guy that's, like, carrying this, shoebox and like screaming is this person just like gliding up the aisle um and he was super quiet and like so both of the hijackers head to the cockpit now on i survived franklin only described seeing these two hijackers but there was a third um hijacker and um they were three ethiopian men and you can like find their names and stuff if you want to look it up uh I don't, I'm not super interested in telling their story because they were assholes. (laughs) So if you want to know more about these hijackers, you can look it up. Um, I'm just
1: interested to see what the third one was doing. Like if there's one that's screaming, there's one that's gliding. Is he like the Goldilocks in the middle? He's sort of making noise, but kind of just chilling.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if he was already in the cockpit and like no one had noticed him or I I don't know what he was doing. But a special airdisaster.com report on the hijacking described all three men as young, like in their mid-20s, inexperienced, psychologically fragile, and intoxicated, which are like exactly the people that you want hanging out in the cockpit of your airplane. It's just like let's just pick up three violent guys from a frat house and throw them in with the pilot now at this point all three of the hijackers are in the cockpit and then they make an announcement in french and this is about like 20 minutes after they franklin like first saw them um they go to the cockpit and then they make this announcement and franklin kind of understands it because he knows some french but He doesn't, like, fully understand. He says that he makes out that they're saying that they want to go to Australia. And then they made additional announcements in multiple languages saying that they had a bomb and that if anyone tried to stop them, they would blow up the plane. So they did find later that this bomb, this, like, surprisingly, this shoebox was a fake bomb. It wasn't real. Um, But no one knows this for sure at the time being. So... They're saying they want to go to Australia. Australia is like 5,300 miles from where they are now. And Franklin knows like approximately how long it would take to get there because he has some experience piloting small planes. And he knows like they're not going to make it with the fuel that they have. Right. <laughs> so that's where Franklin is, realizing that there's no way they're going to make it, where these guys want to go. We're going to leave him sitting there figuring that out a minute so meanwhile the pilot captain lul abate um is telling the hijackers this exact thing he's saying like we're not going to make it he and they they just like don't listen to him they just keep insisting that they want to go to australia so instead of flying towards australia he decides to follow the african coastline and the hijackers notice like that he's not going where they want him to because they can still see land and they want to go out over the ocean. And so they force him to steer the plane east. And again, instead of going where they want to go, he's, he starts heading for the Comoro Islands, which I'm probably saying that wrong. I should have looked it up and I did not. My bad. Um, <laughs> he's heading for some islands. <laughs> they're heading for the islands. And um, these islands lie between Madagascar and the African mainland. So he's like, OK, I can't stay close to the African coast so that we can make you know, a landing on land when we inevitably run out of gas. So instead, I'm going to go out over the ocean like they like, like they want me to, but I'm going to head for these islands so that when we run out of gas, hopefully I can land there. So now we go back to Franklin, and he says that this, like, eerie calm falls over the cabin. So apparently this is just, like, a thing. Like, apparently during plane crashes, right. everyone just, like, calms down.
1: I guess so. They must have also been thinking, uh, just hurry up and get this over with. Like, Let's
0: just fix this. Fix I it. Yeah.
1: Hydraulics.
0: <laughs> so... He said that he tried to like kind of talk to the people around him, but no one was really responsive. And his theory is that all the passengers had kind of noticed that the hijackers were like on edge and like psychologically not really all there. And they just didn't want to, it's that thing of like, when someone else is really freaking out, you get really calm. (laughs) So hours passed of people in the cabin, like not really knowing what's going on. Um, in the meantime, one of the hijackers stays in the cockpit and the other two like, go into the cabin. Uh, but I don't know if Franklin saw them because he doesn't mention them, or it might have just not been in the episode. But they're kind of like managing the passengers while one person stays in the cockpit managing the pilot. Um, so they're almost to the Comoro Islands, and the plane is almost out of f- fuel. Um, and the captain keeps telling them we are going to crash. We're not going to make it where you want to make it. We're not going to make it. And he starts circling the area, um, of the islands, hoping to be able to land there because they're about to run out, out of fuel. So as he's circling these islands, the engine flames out and the hijacker that was, and this is the right engine. So they still have one, which apparently I've learned today is good enough. Um, but the right engine flames. It out. is.
1: It is good enough.
0: <laughs> and hydraulics. And the hijacker that's with the captain briefly exits into the cabin to talk with the other hijackers. So the captain takes this opportunity to grab the like microphone that's in the cockpit and make the following announcement. And we have like a transcript of it. Uh, so he says. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot. We have run out of fuel and we are losing one engine at this time. We are expecting a crash landing and that is all I've had to say. We have lost already one engine and I ask all the passengers to react. And then there's something unintelligible. He says to the hijackers and then it cuts off because once they hear the announcement, the, the hijacker that had been monitoring the captain goes back to the cockpit and strikes the microphone out of his hand. And we know what happened during this altercation because there's something called a cockpit voice recorder, um, which, like, just records the conversations in the cockpit. So although the passengers couldn't hear it, we know because of those records what was being said. Um,
1: So is that, like, a thing that's always happening? So do you have to be, like, do people – does anyone monitor those? So, like, between the pilot and the co-pilot are really, like (laughs) – gossip girling over the rest of like the crew. Yeah, I don't and know. Like, oh, wait, you know what? We can't we can't say that cuz you know the cockpit recording. <laughs> like I didn't want to say this but Sherry like I think she has a crush on you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't even know this was a thing until I read that story, but I think it causes drama ever?
1: I think it does.
0: Someone's going over the transcripts and is like I heard what you said about me, bitch.
1: Right, like I think <laughs> I think there's somebody, like, there's, they all come, like, the same airline, like, American Airlines, I don't know. Um, There is Mike in Human Resources who gets all the recordings, and you're, like, not really supposed to listen to him unless something goes wrong. But you know Mike, (laughs) obviously, is a gay man, and him and his best friend listen, to, Like, they get all the details, so they know, they know what's up.
0: There's just, like, this old queen and this, like... <laughs> and his like his like mouthy little woman friends. right? Just sharing cocktails, reading over the right. they're like <laughs> the cockpit voice recorder
1: transcript. I love that for them. Good for them, Mike and what's um, her name? Scarlet.
0: Why not,
1: <laughs> Mike and Scarlet? American Airlines. Shout out to Mike and Scarlet at American Airlines. <laughs>
0: so. This is the transcript from the cockpit voice recorder shortly following the announcement being cut off. Um, The captain says, for the sake of my responsibility, at least the passengers must know the condition. The hijacker says, descend it, increase the speed further. Captain, it doesn't make any difference. Please, all the same, we are going to die. Why don't you? I thought there is no need to for the passengers. And then the recording cuts out so the they were speaking in both english and another language um so that's why it's like a little off uh but we get the gist of that like the captain is like please let me tell these people what's going on and the hijacker's just like take this plane down and take it down fast
1: see it now in this situation i'm not saying this is what i would do but my thought is if you're the captain, you only have like a couple seconds. I'd be like, there is like 80 people on this plane, and there's three hijackers. I need you all to like revolt. <laughs> I, <laughs> grab the high grab the hijackers so that we can land safely. There's like, way more them. of you, yeah, right? Because I mean, honestly, they could have, and they probably would have been well, lost less. But you have to keep in mind they
0: think these guys have a bomb. Oh, that's right? true. Yeah. Like and like in that situation are you really going to take the risk of it being a fake bomb? No. <laughs> yeah. Mm,
1: yeah. I mean, I yeah. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um so while that's going on in the cockpit, then the second engine flames out. And now the plane is flying straight down with no fuel. So it's just Worst case scenario, right? And now Into the that, ocean, like, right? Yeah, it's so they're over the ocean. They've been circling the islands, but they haven't been able to get close enough to land there. So they're going straight down towards the ocean, and now the people start freaking out. And there's like they're crying, they're hysterical. The path the pilot manages to get the like microphone back and announce. Um, that the passengers should put on their life jackets, but don't inflate them. Um, and Franklin, in the ca- or in the cabin, then hears all this like pop, 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 pop—the sound of people inflating their life jackets, which is exactly what they were told not to do. And he says that um, he starts telling them to stop because, because of his flight experience, he knows that life jackets on planes are super fluffy and they inhibit move it, movement. So. If they like when they do crash, it's going to make people. Um, it's going to be difficult for them to get out of the plane to get through exits because these oh, okay. jackets are like so big. Um, so I
1: guess you're only supposed to inflate it when you're like off the plane.
0: Yeah, like when you're in the water. Oh okay.
1: How do you inflate um, it in the water? Oh, I guess you just blow into it, right?
0: I think you that that you have like a the way that. He was kind of describing it. kind of sounded like it's like a tab that you pull and it kind oh, of auto-inflates. Like a... Yeah. Huh. Franklin looks over at his wife and this is like so sad. And he says, dear, I love you. It's been a good ride. Thanks for all the good times. You and me.
1: That's I know. You. That's you to me. It's been a good one, kid.
0: <laughs> I know. And like the way he talks about her, he just like adores his wife. So meanwhile, oh, she, she looks back at me like that. I, I do. <laughs> Jesus, you're so such so a needy little homo. She looks back at him and she's like, she's not having it. She's like, you're not gonna die. And then she tells him to put his glasses in their hard case and grab some food from their bags because there's not gonna be any meal service once they hit the water. So she's just <laughs> like, she's just like, shut up. Get it together. Get us some food. We're gonna be fine. Save it. Which I just love. I love this image.
1: I know. I love how practical that is for women to be like, you know what? We're not going to die. I need you to just like sit down, put your glass up because I don't want to buy another pair.
0: Yeah. Because she knows going to like, she's going to be the one that have to go because he's just going to put it off or like insist that he can keep wearing these like cracked glasses. He's like, she's like, I'm not getting you another pair. Just put them away. I, Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's how women are. Like women, you if you are in emergency, you need to find a woman to like tell you to shut up and get it together. <laughs> so then, so he does that. He puts his glasses in the hard case and grabs, he's just like, okay. I mean, she seems to know. <laughs> and she kind of like whips him out of this like panic. And he puts his glasses away, grabs the food, um, grab stuff for them to cover their heads with. And he says that you can feel this like, meanwhile you feel this like weightlessness of the plane just like free falling from the sky. And he says you had no sense of time at all. It's just this weird, like the super weird feeling of like not knowing how long it's happening and you just feel this like sense of just dropping.
1: That's a thing that you can pay to do. Did you know that?
0: Yeah, I I don't think people would pay for this experience. Well, not
1: not also the hijacking and the, whatever. But yeah. you can pay to have like zero gravity, like flight where flights just kind of like start heading down quickly. So you can.
0: That's like also what they do to train astronauts. They take them in planes, like to get used to not having gravity. They take them in planes and then like drop them really quick. I think. Don't fact check me on that, okay? Yeah, I don't Before know. Before people also... listening to this, don't comment. All right, because I I'm not claiming to know that for sure. I feel like I saw it on TV once.
1: Our zero gravity chamber is not a real thing. I don't know. I don't know either. So, the plane is
0: free falling from the sky, and he says you don't really feel anything except like this sense of weightlessness and the sense of dropping, and you have like no concept of time while this is happening, uh, which sounds pretty terrifying and he covers his head with a blanket and gives his wife a pillow to cover her head with and he said basically you just relax and wait for the moment of impact and that sentence does not make sense to me if i am waiting for the moment of impact i am not capable of being relaxed
1: well but what what else are you gonna do
0: well like, I'm, I'm gonna panic as in we've theory seen i would love to relax Okay, I would love to be a hydraulics person, but <laughs> I would be losing my mind. Um, so the captain. He tries to make an emergency as they're like free falling. He tries to direct the plane uh, towards the Prince Said Ibrahim International Airport, which is on the island. Um, But the hijackers start physically fighting with him. And at the last minute, that causes him to lose his point of reference. So he like can't see the airport anymore. And he he just like loses it. Um, He can't locate it again so he then tries to ditch the aircraft in shallow waters um like about 500 yards off of the coast of the islands um and in like the hopes that because the waters are shallow it'll it won't be like a full water landing and there will be something for like the plane to to hit to like slow its momentum and to kind of like skid it to a halt um and he attempts to land parallel with the waves instead of, like, against them to try to smooth that landing. Um, But seconds before they contact the water, they make contact with the water, the aircraft suddenly banks left about 10 degrees, and that causes the left engine and the tip of the left wing to hit the water first. And the engine strikes a coral reef, which slows that side of the aircraft and makes the the whole plane just enter the water unevenly and on impact, it just breaks apart. So there is actually video of the, the crash um, that you can see that was taken by a tourist and I watched it. If you're like scared of plane crashes, do not watch this video, but it's horrific. It literally like hits the water and then just disintegrates like pieces of it just fly in all directions. I've never seen anything like that. Um, so except for the rear part of the plane, um, which stayed a little more intact, uh, the, the rest of the plane just starts sinking super rapidly. And Franklin describes this as like a 100 mile an hour washing machine accident. Um, so they hit the water, and he blacks out, and he's thrown clear of the wreckage. And then he comes to, not long after, and he immediately starts looking for his wife. And he looks to his right, because that's the side that she was sitting on in the plane, and she's not there. And he says that like his heart just sinks. But then he looks to his left, and there she is. They just like swapped positions when they were thrown from the plane. He said, this was, I thought this was really sweet. He said, I'd survived a plane crash my wife had survived a plane crash, more importantly. And um, they were both still seat-belted to their chairs, so he unstrapped himself and went to her. And he was bleeding profusely and knew that he was going to die if they didn't get help. But luckily, um, both showed up very quickly and transported him to the hospital and other passengers. Um, Unfortunately... 125 passengers and crew members and all three hijackers were killed. Um, Many of the passengers actually did survive the initial impact of the crash. But because they inflated their life jackets before they crashed, they got pushed up against the ceiling of the fuselage and were unable to exit and then were drowned when water filled the broken plane
1: oh my god which is just just, you can't just take it off i guess no
0: and i mean i'm sure they were injured and and it says that they sunk really rapidly so i'm sure there wasn't a lot of time an estimated 60 to 80 passengers drowned that way um, that's awful because they were trapped by their life jackets yeah um and they were either like unable to unstrap themselves from their seats, or they were like pinned against the roof of the plane, um, and were unable to exit. And um, the captain actually did survive, and for his actions, he was awarded the Flight Safety Foundation Professionalism in Flight Safety Award. Um, so at the end of every episode of I Survived, uh, they ask the person like, "Why do you think you survived?" And Franklin said, "I survived because I had a wife who was competent." This is so sweet. Like he he credits her for his survival, her like level head and like clear thinking, and getting him together and telling him he was gonna live. And he also attributes their survival to that last minute flight upgrade, which, like I said, had never happened to him before. And it turns out that they were moved from a row where everyone died to a row where everyone lived. And he said, we got a lucky break from those above.
1: Yeah, I guess so. That (laughs) sucks. That
0: sucks so much. I know. And that is the story of the deadliest hijacking in history, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 961. I just
1: really, I want to know why those hijackers wanted to go to Australia, because it's not, it sounds like a very deadly place to go to, but like you said, they were unstable. So I think They, I don't know. Like, did they just want the plane to crash? Like, yeah.
0: So that's what the the captain actually, in an interview later, said that the way they were talking, they actually didn't care about where they were going. They wanted them to go out over the water, and they wanted the plane to crash.
1: That's so crazy to me. Like, I know why. Like, they're.
0: That's why. Yeah, and like, these are just like assholes who wanted people to die, and like the the one like unfortunate thing about the fact that they were all killed is that we don't get any more answers, you know, and right. they don't get yeah. to face the consequences of this like horrible, horrible thing that they did. Um It's just, it's such a tragedy, but it is like, it's important to tell these stories because they're stories about, horrible like tragic scary scary things but part of the reason why we wanted to do this podcast is to tell stories of people who have faced horrible tragic scary things and come out the other side um you know it's less the story of the tragedy and more the story of the survivor and the stories honoring the victims and you know life is scary and scary things happen But I think when we look fear in the face, it just gets a little smaller and a little less terrifying.
1: Right. And the more you understand, like, that, yes, your fears are valid, but most of the time, like, the thing that you're most afraid about is less likely to happen to you than it actually happening to you. You know what I mean? So... Like, yes, it's 100% valid, but as we've seen, these instances are very, very, I'm not even going to go for that saying, rare, Um, but (laughs) far, far and few in between, few and far in between. They don't happen often, but...
0: Oh, you got there. It only took like 10 tries.
1: Which one is it?
0: Few and far between.
1: Few and far between? Yeah. It's there's not an in between, few few and far.
0: Yeah, and even you know, even if one of these uncommon things happen to you, even if your fears come true, people survive the unsurvivable all the time. And that's something that's like pretty encouraging and pretty beautiful.
1: I think so. I agree. Look <laughs> at us. Making changes in the world to the four listeners we have. (laughs) Two of which are each other.
0: Yes. (laughs) So thank you to the other two people out there. Thank you for joining us on this ride. Um, We're really excited to keep exploring fears with you and telling some really cool stories. And we hope you stick around. In the meantime, uh, it's a scary world out there. So hold on to the people you love. Bye.
1: Say bye.
0: Bye. Bye.